There are certain things probably about each of us as a person that we maybe wish weren't true about us. You know, there's certain things about our characters or our personalities we wish wasn't, but, but sometimes is. Uh, I wish that I was not what I would call Thanksgiving challenged. I get confused, quite honestly. I get confused sometimes related to, to Thanksgiving and gratitude and, and all of those things. Now, my confusion really is because of two sort of foci, to use a mathematical term that I never really understood, but finally found a way to use it in a sermon. You got to take advantage of your education, right? On the one hand, I can say on the one hand easier. On the one hand, when you talk about gratitude and all those and Thanksgiving and all of that, I was probably told almost from my earliest memories, so you guys are going to be my earliest memory section, of how important gratitude was. And I can remember as a very young child, probably about the time I could sort of print, that I'd have to write thank you notes. You know, my mom would at Christmas time, or my, for me, my Chris, Christmas and birthday are so superimposed that I only had to do it once, praise God, um, <laughs> until I was challenged there. But I'd have to write these notes, and, and if you pay attention, and I, you know, if you look at social science research. In the last 15 years, social scientists have been getting sort of fascinated by the whole concept of gratitude, and they've invested an enormous amount of money and effort in understanding the benefits of gratitude. And they will tell you that, i got to get all of these right, that gratitude enhances our lives personally in terms of our personalities and our inner life. It, it impacts us emotionally. We are emotionally healthier if we're grateful. It impacts us physically. Our physical health is better when we're grateful. It impacts us obviously socially in our relationships. And they'll even say it impacts our careers. You know, gratitude is a good thing. And although most of the morning we are going to be in Psalm 100, I just want to read one verse from 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which might explain when the Bible says gratitude's a good thing, when life says it's a good thing, here's a verse that the Bible kind of enforces that says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Gratitude is a good thing. The Bible says it, repeats it, we should grasp it, we should understand it. That's the one hand. Now the other hand. Some of you, probably more ladies than men, are familiar with a writer by the name of Anne Voskamp. And about a year or so ago, I ran into a quote that she wrote. I don't think she wrote it a year ago. I ran into it a year ago, and you can see it on the screen. She said, I came into the world the way every person on the planet does, with clenched fists. Gratitude's not a natural posture. The prince of darkness is ultimately a spoiled ingrate, and I've spent most of my life as kin to the fish shaker. And I read that about a year ago, a year ago just getting ready for Thanksgiving, and it struck me that I don't think I could write as well as she does. I know I can't write as well as she does, but that sort of felt a little bit like an autobiographical statement, that that might describe me. I want to be able to say, I can always say thank you, I can always do that. But sometimes that looks like me. Eight years ago, a number of things happened in our lives. One of the things that literally happened eight years ago right now is when we began to have a conversation with Central as a church. Another thing that happened was I ran into a story that really made me wonder about where's gratitude in my life. The story is told about a young man named Edward 
Spencer. Edward Spencer happened to be a student at Garrett Theological Seminary, which is connected with Northwestern University just north of Chicago. And on September the 18th, 1860, he happened to be close to when that ship, the Lady Elgin, collided with the schooner Augusta just north of Chicago and Lake Michigan. There were 385 people on that ship as it started to go down. Edward Spencer had some experience in terms of being a swimmer. And so indices, and I don't know, there, there's not, that's not a photograph, that's an artist's rendition, but the seas were somewhat like that in Lake Michigan, and yet he jumped into the water repeatedly, swam out somewhere in the neighborhood of perhaps almost half a mile, grabbing people, trying to save them. Over the next 16 hours, he went in the water enough time, swam in those kinds of conditions enough time that he brought 17 people back. 17 people lived because of his efforts. Unfortunately for him, and given where medicine and all those things were at that point in time, he never really fully recovered his own health. His health was always damaged. And so his career dreams and all of those things kind of had to be put on the side as he struggled in his health. Later in his life, and depending upon which historical source you turn to, either at a class reunion that he traveled back to around at Northwestern University, where there is a plaque commemorating what he did. If you want to go to Evanston, Illinois, you can find a plaque for what he did. Or it's either he came for a class reunion or a historian came and asked him near the end of his life when he was 81 years old, he was asked, what do you remember most about that night? And this is what his response was. Not one person said, thank you for me saving their lives. Now, part of me wants to say, no way! But Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 17 where He heals ten people and only one comes back and says, thank you. And I kind of look at that and I look at Ann Voskamp's quote and I'm like, I think we might be as people at times Thanksgiving challenged. And unfortunately, I think that could be me. Obviously, saying thanks impacts our relationships with other people. But also, gratitude is a huge factor in our relationship with God. In the most important relationship that literally impacts everything in life, our relationship with God, the presence or absence of gratitude is a huge mark in it. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 will tell us if we are not grateful to God, if we don't give thanks to God, we kind of blow that off. We will be futile in our thinking. Our minds will be distorted. Our hearts will be darkened, to use some of the words Paul uses there. We'll be hugely and profoundly impacted. I saw this morning on Facebook something that kind of underlined maybe we are Thanksgiving challenged. It was a reference to Black Friday when it said, um, we are an interesting country, basically. We're going to spend all this time on Thursday overeating, you know, overeating and supposedly saying thanks, planning our strategy to go trample one another on Black Friday. Kind of funny, isn't it? We have an issue with thanks, 
thankfulness. We have an issue with gratitude. So what I want to do this morning is walk through Psalm 100. And if you want to use the, the pew Bible in front of you or under the seat, I think it's found on page 427. We've already read it, but we want to walk through it to kind of understand a little bit more about how to give thanks, but maybe even more than that, why give thanks. Now, Psalm 100, very simply, we read it when we sang together. It is that short. It is five verses. And you can take Psalm 100 and you can take the five verses and it's two big chunks, okay, two big sections. And each section then can be divided down into two parts. Part one of each section is well, how to give thanks. Part two of each section is why to give thanks. And, and what I'd like us to do, since Thanksgiving is something that should be more than just a one-day thing, is I want us to kind of walk through there, and we'll start with verses 1 and 2 to kind of get started and look at it. And the verses read this way. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Now, if we're going to give thanks, and this first section is really talking about how to give thanks, what I'd like us to do is think about how do we give thanks, not just on Thursday, but really some habits that we could be forming in our lives so that we are regularly giving thanks, that thanksgiving and gratitude aren't just something that gets turned on, oh, wow, we've got to go to a Thanksgiving dinner, I've got to come up with something to say. No, that it flows out of our lives repeatedly and constantly. Very simple habits. Habit number one for us to give thanks. And you're going to be amazed at how profound all of these things are, I'm going to say. Number one, verbally express thanks. I know, you're thinking, where did he get that from? Well, because verse one, the psalm begins with those words, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Some English translations will use the word shout instead, but really the idea of the word noise there is there's some measure of excitement. There is something that you are pleased with, so your response when you're pleased with this thing is you want to make a noise. You want to communicate. You want to express it. Maybe it's, it sounds really simple and, and very simplistic, but if we're going to give thanks, one of the things that needs to be true about us is we are verbally expressing our gratitude. Now, this will probably divide the congregation. I'm not trying to divide the congregation, but how many of you are Iowa football fans? I even saw some Iowa State parents put their hands up because they, you know, and I'm one of the Iowa State parents, so let's be clear. So I'm going to say, are you guys a little bit excited about the fact that they're 11 and 0? And, and, don't, no, well, actually you can if you want to, but how do you think the stadium felt yesterday when the game was over? Was everybody just reverential? What is the verse? Now, I understand. When you're in church, there is a certain, there is a, there is, you and I should come into the presence of God sometimes somberly and reverentially, sometimes. But what is this verse saying? It's saying, make noise. It is saying, express your thanks. Joyfully, full it up. That is something you and I need to do. We do it at our sports stadiums for things that quite honestly are trivial and are not going to matter. Yet this verse is calling us all the earth. Let it fly. 
that needs to be a part of a habit of our lives. Can we make the noise? That's habit number one. We need to do that. Habit number two, if thanksgiving and gratitude are going to get expressed in our lives, we're going to get past the challenge very simply, is we need to serve God. Okay? We need to serve God. So we go from verse one into verse two. The psalmist says, hey, another great way for us to say thanks is what? Serve the Lord. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's actually probably the most general word for service or labor. There are a couple of English translations that do want to use the word worship there, and service and worship are hugely connected, but the general word is it's simply serve. See, one of the best ways you and I can express to God our gratitude is to serve with gladness. To actually say, look, God has done something for me. God has done this, and I just want to say to God, thank you. And one of the best ways to do it is to serve. We didn't mention earlier, and this isn't meant to be a commercial, but if you look in your bulletin, there was an insert for serving in the nursery. Guess what? A great way for you and I to express our gratitude is to serve in places like the nursery. Maybe a great way in since the storm was on Friday and not today, if it was today, we probably wouldn't be here, but maybe a great way to express gratitude to God was to go help somebody shovel their sidewalk. Okay, part of us giving thanks is not to be consumed by ourselves in our own lives. It is to serve God to go and do things. We need to understand that. As the church, when we provide opportunities to serve, hopefully one of the things we communicate is it's a great way for us to express our gratitude to God. That's a habit that needs to form in our lives. Habit number three. We also need to cultivate joy toward God. Okay, if we're going to grow in thankfulness, how do we do it? Well, I verbally express it. I make some noise about it. I also serve God. I, I roll up my sleeves. I engage in work. I do things. I labor. But I have to cultivate joy. Let me ask you a question. How many of you sing in the shower or in the car or maybe when no one is around? And when you do that, what is your mood? I'm going to guess you're probably, joy is usually a part of it, right? I mean, how, you know, some of you may sing like Eeyore. Pathetic, pathetic, I'm just pathetic. You know. (laughs) Some of you might do that. But if you do that in front of other people, you do that so they'll laugh. Okay, we usually sing, whether it's good or bad, because there's joy. There's some joy in us. And part of what really is behind the command in verse, the, second, the third command, really there's three commands. Verse one had one. Verse two has two. The second one in verse two really is this idea when it says come into his presence with singing, it's have this joy that just flows out of you. Okay, we need to be cultivating joy in our hearts towards God. I mean, look at each of the commands. Joyful, noise, serve with gladness, come into his presence with singing. We need to be cultivating joy in our lives towards God so that we want to come into his presence. 
One of the things that amazes me sometimes is I've watched, I mentioned to me, a professor of mine that passed away at the beginning of November, and you want to talk about a guy that seemed always so somber and serious. My theology professor in seminary was that. He was, you know, always in a suit in class at a time when it was getting more and more formal. He was always in a suit, and um, everything was precise. Everything was to the T. My claim to fame was he did oral exams. He'd bring in four students at a time, and you'd do your oral exams with four, three other classmates. It was a whole lot of fun. My claim to fame is I was in the one group that got him to laugh, and we still graduated. I don't know how that worked. But if you watch Dr. Cook worship, the expressiveness on his face because he had joy in his life because of his God. Wow, we need to cultivate that. Now, we've just sort of said, here's what you have to do. Here's how you do it. And sometimes we can come away with, oh, I'm supposed to do these things. Well, why? Why should I make a noise? Why should I serve? Why should I cultivate joy? I mean, I think we get it that, yeah, I should express gratitude. Okay, I get that, but why? Well, that's really where we come to the second section of the first chunk. He wants to tell us why. Why develop those habits? Why do that? And the psalmist says, I'm going to give you one major motivation why. And his major motivation, number one, is this. It's know that the Lord is God. Why should I do, what's going to motivate me to do these things? It'll motivate me to do these things when I know the Lord is God. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. If you look at the word Lord there, you'll notice that it's, you know, the O, R, and D are small capitals. They're capitalized. When the Bible does that from the Old Testament, it does that for a specific reason. It does that to tell us that that is the unique personal name that God revealed himself with in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. Okay? You might call this God's covenant name, God's personal name. If you want to know how to pronounce it, it's not easy to pronounce. In fact, if you were from a Jewish background, you wouldn't pronounce the word, but we would usually say Yahweh. Okay? This is God's personal name. Now, we're in our minds and thinking, we're thinking, well, yeah, we know he's God. What's the big deal? Well, we got to set it in context. Around Israel at that time, around there, every culture said it had gods. What the psalmist wants us to realize is there is the Lord, our God, the one who's personally revealed himself. He is the God. There's not a whole bunch of them, there's one. There is one God. And he asks the question, well, why is it so significant? Why are we commanded to know that the Lord is God? Why does that matter? How does that motivate me to give thanks? Well, I think here's what happens, folks, is the psalmist wants us to understand if we truly know who God is, who our Lord is, that he is the supreme one over everything, and we recognize what he has done for us, how could we be anything but thankful. 
if we would recognize what, who he is and what he has done, that should ignite in us gratitude. And so as the verse unfolds, he wants to kind of, here's a couple of truths about God. They're true, they come from his character, but they flow out in what he does. These are things he does, okay? Igniting gratitude in us. Truth number one that should ignite gratitude in us, according to these verses, is simply this, God made us. Okay, we need to understand, God made us. If you look back at verse three, you know, it is he who what? Made us. One of the huge truths we need to grasp is the reason you and I exist is because God made us. Irrespective of the context of your conception, you are a special creation of God. As we've said when the, the, the kids were up earlier in the service, you, if you're alive, if you're hearing my voice, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, according to Psalm 139. From the moment of conception forward, His fingerprints are on you. You are of value to Him. The Bible will tell us that God made us in His image, which means God created you to have a relationship with Him. God created you to carry out responsibilities for Him. Part of what that means, you want to use it in terms that maybe we might use in our world more, is God gave us life and God gave us purpose. We matter to him to the degree that he said, I'm gonna create you and I'm gonna give you purpose. Folks, that should lead to some things sparking in us of realizing why would I be grateful to God? Because of the gifts he's given me. He's given me life. He's given me purpose. My life truly matters. Second truth that I think should ignite us is that not only did God make us, God also redeems us. Sad, sad statement in life is that though God gave us life, God gave us purpose, we rejected that. We've walked away from God. We call that sin. And unfortunately, sin brings ripple effects that impact us in so many ways, repeatedly again and again. But our God, the one who is the God, the one who is our Lord, is bigger than sin. And He redeems people. If you look at verse 3, and that's sort of the f- final phrase of verse 3, it says, we are His people. I'm talking about, and also the sheep of His pasture. In Hebrew, that word His people is really just a little tiny word, but it has a huge meaning. I don't mean to get overly technical this morning, but His people, that little phrase, is what we call a covenantal marker. And what we mean by a covenantal marker is that would be a phrase that would be used throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, that would remind the people that God had redeemed them had redeemed the people of Israel out of Egypt. He had rescued them from their bondage, from their imprisonment, their slavery, and He set them free and took them to the promised land. They're His people now. They have this special relationship with God because He redeemed them. 
That action that took place in Exodus is really a foreshadowing of the ultimate redemption that God makes available to us in Christ. Through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, God made it possible. I mean, here's the amazing thing for us. Not only did God create us, you know, give us life and and give us purpose, When we walked away from that and literally set ourselves on a course where we would spend our lives away from God, separated from Him, literally headed to spend eternity in hell, that's the trajectory we're going. God sends His Son, the Lord Jesus, to enter into time, space, and history to make it possible for us to be reconnected to Him, to instead of being separated from Him, to be brought back to Him because Jesus went to the cross, died for our sins, and rose again. And if you and I would repent and trust the Lord Jesus, instead of going away from God, now we're with Him. And not just with Him for a little while, with Him for forever. And as people who are with Him, what is the last phrase of the verse say? And the sheep of His pasture which means we are entered into a relationship where as redeemed people, God cares for us. God watches over us. God provides for us. See, the psalmist says, if you and I recognize who the Lord is, that He is God over all, that should ignite in us huge gratitude, huge thanksgiving, I don't deserve any of it, but what does He provide? He provides all of that. Why give thanks? Because He created us and He redeems us. The psalmist isn't done though. He's got a little bit more. He's got another habit. He wants to bring sort of another section. Habit number four is we need to be grateful with other people. We need to be grateful with other people. The psalm continues in verse 4 with the words, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Now, in a lot of ways, verse 4 is a poetic repetition of verses 1 and 2. The word enter in verse 4 is the same as the word come in verse 2. The idea, though, is there's a slightly different emphasis The emphasis of verse 4 is making us want to think a little bit about where we're giving thanks. You know, he's talking about the gates and his courts. He's really taking us to the temple. He's taking us to a place where there's going to be other people gathered. And he's saying, you know what, you and I need to collectively come together to say thanks. In doing research on gratitude and some of those kinds of things, you, if you Googled this right now, you could see a lot of people, both Christians and secular authors, people that are saying, here's how you grow in gratitude. They'll suggest to you, you should start a gratitude journal. That you should every day write down five things you're grateful for. That's a great idea, and I'm not saying that's bad. But this verse is saying, don't stop there with you individually doing it. This needs to be a collective thing. We need to collectively give thanks. If you're like me, some of you are, some of you are introverts. Social situations can be incredibly uncomfortable for you. What do you say to someone after church? Well, instead of asking them what they thought about the Iowa football game, let me give you another option. 
maybe part of us saying thanks with other people is just simply saying to someone after church, I'm grateful to God for this. Maybe one of the things that should take place in our small groups and in our Sunday classes is every once in a while we should just kind of say, hey, what are we grateful for today? Just kind of stop and do that. I'd encourage you to come on Wednesday night to our Thanksgiving service because one of the things that takes part in our Thanksgiving service is an opportunity to share with other people. What are you thankful for? What do you want to say to God you're thankful for? Because if gratitude is going to grow in our lives, this verse is saying make it collective. Go public. It's not just you in your hidden corner. It's sharing it with others. Expressing it out loud to someone else. Well, why would you want to do that? What would motivate us to tell other people? What would do it? Motivator number two. The Lord is good. Because the Lord is good, that's going to motivate us, the psalmist says. Verse five. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Rick, I'm going to add lib right now, so I need you just to follow me real quick. I want to say, how do we know God is good? There's two more blanks there. We'll fill those in. So Rick, put those. We'll kind of go through. Blank number one there. Example number one. How would I know that God is good? I know God is good because of His enduring kindness. Okay, so example number one, his enduring kindness. Example number two, the second blank that you could fill in, we say what's good about God, his enduring kindness is one. The second one is his faithfulness to all generations because he's faithful to all generations. Now the psalmist makes a big deal of that. Why does he make a big deal of that? Well, let me tell you a quick story of why I think he tells us that. Eight years ago yesterday, Carrie's grandfather passed away. He was 95. And Grandpa Berg, my gra- my, both my grandfathers were dead by the time I was six. So I didn't really know what a grandfather was supposed to be. But Grandpa Berg kind of became my grandfather. And there would be numerous times where Grandpa would take me aside and talk to me. And yesterday, because it was the eighth anniversary of his death, one of Carrie's cousins put on a video where Grandpa, as a 95-year-old, was kind of interviewed about his life. Grandpa was born in an area that we would call today Ukraine. Back then was called Prussia. He was born right as the Russian Revolution began. By the time he was seven, both his parents had died because of the bubonic plague. Not only that, but he watched because of the Russian Revolution and because he was in a group of people that were largely pacifists and wouldn't engage in the war, the Russian soldiers would come in and they would kill all the men. At one point, men and boys, as a six-year-old, before his mother died, he hid under her skirt so they wouldn't find him. He then, by the intervention of some people, was brought from there to Canada. Now, the irony is the person that brought him really didn't want him. He spent a chunk of his growing up years living literally in a barn eating flour. 
Now this is a barn not in some luxurious place. This is a barn north and west of here in lovely parts of Saskatchewan. You think it's cold here, go there. I mean, we're talking north of North Dakota cold. And yet, when I watch his story, what do I see? In the midst of a lousy context, there were so many glimmers of God's kindness in his life. And there were so many glimmers of God's faithfulness in his life. When he died eight years ago, it was very personally, it was very hard. Because he was the one I knew prayed for me every single Saturday night. He died, and guess what? I was supposed to preach that Sunday. Guess which passage I was preaching from? Any guess? What are we doing this morning? Psalm 100. I saw in his life God's kindness and God's faithfulness and as that has been publicly shared with me, it gave me just a little bit more energy. It gave me just a little bit more strength. It gave me just a little bit more hope that maybe I could take another step. Why do we need to publicly tell one another that things are thanksgiving? Because God is good. And part of what I learned through the life of David Berg was God is good. And I know that because his kindness and his faithfulness. That doesn't mean things are perfect. And some of you are experiencing some very difficult things. And I never want to minimize that. But I also want you to hear in those situations, somewhere, some way, God's kindness is still there. God's faithfulness is still there. I watched Grandpa bury a son. I watched Grandpa bury a wife. I watched him ache. I watched him after he went to the doctor and they, you gotta be careful when you have a pacemaker. He didn't, his hearing aid wasn't working really well. They adjusted his pacemaker so that his resting heart rate was now 120 beats per minute. He didn't understand that he was supposed to tell them he wasn't feeling well. He left the office. He was driving down the freeway with his heart rate at 120 as a 93-year-old man. That's a problem. And he said things to me. I mean, I remember sitting, talking to him right after it happened, and he's like, this isn't good. But God still showed up. God can show up and do those things. And folks, we need to help each other know he's going to show up. And we do that by giving thanks. Worship team wants to come up. Let's wrap this up. Folks, I want to be better at gratitude. I know I need to be better at gratitude. I want you to look for a second again at Ann Voskamp's quote. Kind of where she says, again, gratitude's not our natural posture. It's not. I don't think it is. It's not for me. Maybe it is for you, but it's not for me. And here's the deal. Here's the thing. How do we grow in gratitude? Well, part of growing in gratitude is probably knowing how to do it, and that's important. But more than knowing how, we need to know why. And what I hope Psalm 100 underlines for you and I more than anything else is God is good. And we said in our series on the fruit of the Spirit, when we say God is good, we are saying He puts on, He he displays His moral and spiritual excellence on display for the benefit of His people, which is why He made us, which is why He redeems us. 
If you and I are going to give thanks, if gratitude is going to grow in our lives, it's because we recognize that God is good. And I pray this morning you will recognize God is good. Please, let's stand and sing about His goodness. to be like you your favor 